So this weekend, we finish up our sermon series entitled Treasure Hunt. We've been talking about how in our life, many times we feel we are on a lifelong treasure hunt, whether it is for possessions or income or whatever it is that we value most. And the sermon series has been based off of this one verse from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is teaching about generosity, and in the midst of it, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you want to know where your heart is, look where your treasure is. Look what you value most, what you care about most. Uh, Look at how you spend your time. Look at how you spend your money. Look at how you spend your energy. Look at what you value most, and that's where your heart goes. And the purpose of all of this is not because God wants your treasure. What God actually wants is God wants your heart. And so the point of generosity is actually not about money, but it's about God who is building a relationship with you as his children, his sons and daughters. And so in our first week, we said one of the questions we were going to answer is, why is it so hard to let go? And it's because we believe we own things, and and the confession we need to make is that we own nothing and God owns everything. It's all his. In the second week, we asked the question, why is it so important to let go? And we saw that in the midst of that, the reason it's so important to let go is because you can't live generously accidentally. So there's an intentionality, a consistency, and an abundance to our generosity. Today we're going to look at the last trait of what it means to live generously in this life where we are often on a lifelong treasure hunt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather here and and spend time in your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us, reminding us of the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ and reminding us of the calling that we have as the people of God, to be generous, and not for the sake of money, but for the sake of changed lives, for ministry's sake, for the building of the kingdom of God among us. So Lord, empower us to be the people of God you created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but there are times where I'll be out to eat, And as I'm sitting with uh, a couple, another couple, or a couple of different couples with my wife, uh, there is a conversation that often takes place between a husband and a wife when the food is served, right? Because after you've ordered and you're ready to go and the food is brought to the table, uh, you believe that what is on your plate is yours. Until your spouse reaches across and grabs one of your french fries and takes your french fry, to which you then look at her and say, if you wanted french fries, you should have ordered them. Right, like like those are yours and this is mine. In fact, I saw this cartoon, I just thought this was great. Couple who's getting married and and here are their vows. Do you promise to love him in sickness and health? Yes. Do you promise to love him till death do you part? Yes. Do you promise to order your own fries if you want them instead of, of, of saying you don't want fries, then requesting a taste of his fries and helping yourself to roughly half of them. Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about. Don't nudge the person next to you if that's happened to you, right? Because what's on your plate is yours and what's on their plate is theirs and they shouldn't reach for your plate just like you're not going to reach for their plate, right? What's mine is mine. 
And so there's an aspect of ownership there, but there's another thing that causes us to do it. And this idea is called rationing. Right? Like, like these are mine. And what rationing means, it's the belief of rationing is there is a fixed amount of a certain commodity that is on your plate. And once that is used up, there's nothing else left. Right? And so, so when they have a fixed commodity of french fries, you're like, don't touch my french fries because I have the exact amount that I want. If I have leftover french fries, then you can have them. We are really good at rationing in our life, aren't we? Maybe you've uttered these words, right? There's only two left, so be careful. Or money doesn't grow on trees, don't you know? Or we can go out to eat or we can go to the movies, but you have to pick one or the other, right? Because there's a limited commodity. And so you ration what you have. Our children, on the other hand, are terrible at rationing. You know, if you have grandchildren, you know this too, right? If you have ever taken, if you've ever had them build their own Sundays, you understand this. Or if you've ever taken your children to Smart Cow, right here in the falls, and given them a cup, and then turned your back on them, and then come back to them after they're finished to a heaping just pile of all sorts of gummy things and brownie pieces and, and it's like falling off the edge to which you're like, uh, you have to eat all of that and I have to pay for that, right? And it weighs like 13 pounds and costs $27. And you're like, really? Right? Because for them, they just want to keep piling it on and piling it on and piling it on. For you, you're like, only take what you can eat because I need to ration my money. So the question we're going to talk about in this idea of rationing and the idea of letting go is what happens if I do let go? What happens if I don't operate under the idea of rationing or actually that concept is scarcity, that there's only a scarce amount of resources, but instead what happens when I actually let go of my resources and entrust them to God? We're going to look at that in our text from Malachi today. I'd love for you to open up to Malachi chapter 3. You can find that in the Bibles in front of you on page 802. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi, that word Malachi, actually just means messenger. So it could be that the prophet's name was Malachi, and it might just be that this is a nameless prophet who's just called the messenger. But either way, this messenger is speaking into the life of Israel. Now, the context for Israel right now, Israel has just gotten free from being captive to Babylon. They were carried off into exile. They've been released. They've come back to their promised land. They're rebuilding the promised land, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, putting the walls back up. If you read uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, you would kind of see what's going on with that. And in the midst of that, Malachi speaks to them as the prophet of God. Now the people are still in slavery, meaning that they're in slavery in their homeland, but they're still underneath the authority of the Persians. They have to pay taxes, a a, a duty to the king of Persia. And so all that they have is not theirs. And, And so they believe there's only a certain amount of resources that they have to hand over. Now we're going to see, and and, and as we read this text, uh, we're going to see it's a pretty heavy law text. And so we're going to get through some of that and the understanding of it and come out on the other side with some strong gospel. But but we're going to see how strong some of this law is that God speaks into them. 
But we see the problem of their generosity already from the very beginning. If you turn back a page to Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 6, notice what he says, God says about their offerings. He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am your father, where is my honor? And if I am your master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. Notice what he says. He says, says, if you honor an earthly father, if you have to honor out of fear an earthly master, then why are you not honoring me as your heavenly father? And he's going to tell them how they don't honor him. He says, but you say, how have we despised your name? He says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer a blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Is that what he will accept or show favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to you. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, you're giving the leftovers. You're giving the last or the least to God. You're giving the blind animals, the lame animals, the sick animals. And if you remember, when God called for a sacrifice, he says, bring the first, the best. Bring the lamb that is without spot or wrinkle or stain or blemish. Bring the perfect in. And instead, they were bringing the least in because they wanted the most for themselves and the least for others. And they were willing to give away what they didn't want. We, we see this in children, don't we, and how they share. Like, if you've ever seen a child who said, you know, there's one cookie left, and so two of them are like, all right, let's split the cookie, and so one person breaks the cookie, and then usually will hand the smaller piece to the other person, which is why you have to create the rule, okay, one person breaks it, and the other person chooses, because then they actually try to break it evenly. Because when it comes to how you handle your own finances and resources and what you have, we operate in a scarcity mindset. In fact, it's kind of interesting. Even that word scarcity, you hear the word scare, right? You're scared that there's a scarcity of resources at your disposal. This is the world into which Malachi speaks in Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Follow along with me, please. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. He starts off with his mercy. That's what he's speaking about here. He says, if I changed, if I was no longer slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, if I instead held people's sins against them instead of forgiving them, Israel, you would be destroyed. You would be consumed. You would be wiped out. Because of your sin, because of your brokenness, because of your selfishness, I would wipe you out. But because I, the Lord your God, am merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and because my nature doesn't change, I will continue to show you mercy. But here's what you need to change, is what he's going to say. He says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? That word return there is the word for repentance. He's saying, you have walked away from me. You have gone your own way. And one of the things we see in Scripture constantly is this, is that disobedience creates distance. 
So when you disobey God, you are walking away from him and you are creating distance between you and God, which is exactly the reason why Jesus Christ came into this world because our Father knew that we could not fix that distance between us and the Father in our disobedience. And so he sent Jesus Christ to us to give his life. And he's saying, so, so stop walking away, repent, return to me. And now they're going to ask, well, well how? He says, return to me. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Do you notice right away who it says they're robbing? Who does it say they're robbing? God, right? Now, if they're bringing, he says, you're robbing me in your tithes and contributions, normally you would think, well, you're robbing the priests or you're robbing the, the, the tabernacle, you're robbing the temple, you're robbing the community. And God says, no, no, you're actually not robbing them, you're robbing me. Because the resources for the work of the ministry of the kingdom come from God. They're his. And God has blessed us with it. Again, it's an issue of ownership. Who owns everything? Well, God does. He says, says, you're not robbing the temple. You're not robbing the the priest. You're actually robbing me. Now, we might think, well, yeah, but it goes to the temple. Like, that's how the priests would eat when the the sacrifice would come in. When the offerings were made, that's how the priest at that time would eat. He would take a, a portion of the animals that were brought for the sacrifice as God ordained it and, and, and decided it to be. And they would take that portion, and that would be how they ate. That would be their, their allotment. And yet, he doesn't say you're robbing the priests. He says you're robbing God. This is the same concept we get in Matthew chapter 25. When Jesus is speaking about the end of the world, he says at the end he's going to separate the sheep from the goats on his right and on his left. And he's going to turn to the sheep and he says, Blessed are you, for when I was hungry, you gave me food. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was hungry, you fed me. He says, enter into the kingdom of God. And they would say, well, when did we do that? When, we were, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you naked? When were you in prison? Like, when was this? And he goes, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then he'll turn to the goats. He says, says depart from me, you who are cursed. Because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. Uh, when I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And they go, well, when did we do that? Because when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And that's what he's speaking about here. He's saying, you're, you're robbing God because you're not fulfilling the calling that you're making. And so, so he holds them accountable for doing this. And he says, well, well, how are we robbing you? And he tells them, you're robbing through your tithes and your contribution. Now, that word tithe in the scriptures, especially in Hebrew, actually just means tenth. That's what tithe means. It means tenth. So one-tenth of what you have or one-tenth of your income. Now at that time, when the, the God would say tithe, we oftentimes just think 10%, but they would actually think 23.3%. The reason they would think 23.3% is because there were actually three different offerings, three different tithes that the people of Israel were accountable for. 
The first tithe was the tithe for ministry that was taking place in the temple. This is the one that we're actually going to see in this text. The second tithe was the tithe for the festivals. So the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of uh, Passover and, and all the different feasts that they would have in Jerusalem. And the third tithe was a tithe that was taken once every three years. And that was the tithe for the poor. And so they would give a tenth of what they had earned to the poor so that they would be cared for and food would be distributed to them. So they wouldn't just think 10%, they would think 23.3%, but the one that's gonna be talked about in here, we're gonna see when he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, is just that first one. The one that says, says this tithe, this offering is for ministry. And that's what he says, the people of God should be bringing a tithe into the storehouse. And he says, you're robbing me in your tithes when you don't bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and you're robbing me in your contributions. So, so what is the difference there? Well, contributions at that time would be things that would be over and above their normal tithes. So for us in our context today, uh, that would be like 144 envelopes, or it would be like a door offering for Honduras, or it would be like bringing in different supplies and putting them in those boxes in the back for uh, different collections that we're taking. Those would be contributions above and beyond. And God's saying, make sure you bring the full offering into the house of God. Now, why does he say that? He says it because what the tithe was, was it was a divine in invitation, a divine invitation to show your faithfulness to God and to see his faithfulness to you. And this is one of those topics that's really hard for us because our treasure is so close to our heart, which is exactly, again, why God speaks about this, because whatever it closest, is closest to your heart, since God wants your heart, that's what God wants you to hand over. Because God wants you, all of you, every part of you. God wants every aspect of your life, and he doesn't want you to withhold anything from him because God can do more with what we have than we ever could on our own. And so he says this. He says, therefore, bring the full tithe. Bring it all. In fact, he says, this is kind of like the baseline of generosity. The tithe is the baseline. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. In fact, another translation says this. You see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. I, I love that one even more. I think it's just a beautiful picture of God's promise. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Notice again, the picture is about ministry. He says, he says, do this so that there's food in my house, so that there's supplies to do the ministry. Because generosity is not about money. Generosity is about changed lives and ministry. And money, all it is is a means to an end. Sometimes we view our money, our resources as the end. Like that's what I'm working for is to gain possessions. But God says, actually, resources are a means to the end. If they're the end, then we're just going to keep chasing them. And we're on a never-ending treasure hunt. But if resources are a means to an end, it means that there is something greater that we are looking for. And what is that something greater? 
It's the ministry that God does in his kingdom to change lives. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there's actually something in this text that God says where he doesn't say this anywhere else. This is the only time you will ever find this in God's word. It's right here in Malachi. This is the only time that God ever tells his people, test me. Do you see that in the text? He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and put me to the test and see if I will not open the heavens for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. It's the only time in all of scripture God says, test me. In fact, I encourage you, go home and look up that word test in the scriptures. There is only two other occasions really that you will find that it is ever used. The first one is when he says, I will put you to the test. And the second one is when God says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And he says that one repeatedly, don't put me to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not test me. And then in this one section, it's the only time in scripture he says, test me. Test me and see if I won't be faithful. Trust me and see if I don't have all of the resources of the universe at my disposal, that I can take care of you in a greater way than you could ever take care of yourself and see if I will not be faithful to my promise that I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour down upon you a blessing until you have no more. And that's exactly what God has done for us. God has poured out blessing upon blessing upon blessing on us. It began in our baptism when God poured out his blessing as water was poured upon us and we were claimed as children of God, an honor and a blessing we didn't deserve. It was done at the cross of Jesus Christ when his blood was poured out for us. It's done at his altar when we receive that blood, his body and blood that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. We see how faithful he is to this when we realize that when we pray for our daily bread, we don't just receive daily bread, because if you received only daily bread, then you would only have enough food in your house for today. Kind of like the Israelites in the wilderness, right? Where every day they went out and they collected manna, trusting that the next day God would supply manna, and if they collected more than one day's worth of manna, it rotted by the next day, because God said, I will take care of your needs day by day. But God pours so much on us that we have food in our refrigerator, not just for today, but for some of you the rest of the week or the rest of the two weeks till you get your next check. God richly pours it out. But he calls us, therefore, to be generous because he is generous. And in fact, uh, that image is, is kind of like this image. There's a difference between a reservoir and a river. A reservoir just collects water, doesn't it? But a river has water that is constantly flowing through it. Which one gets more water? The river does, doesn't it? Because once the reservoir is full, it's full. But a river never gets full. It just keeps seeing that water pass through it over and over and over and over again. That's the picture God's giving us. 
He's saying that, that the reason I give you resources, I give to you so that I might give through you so that you might know that you will never be empty because see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and keep pouring out upon you blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And in doing that, God changes our hearts. I, I don't know how many of you remember this. When I was a kid, um, and I just saw this at the grocery store the other day, um, I found Mr. Bubbles bubble bath. Anyone remember that, Mr. Bubbles bubble bath? Yeah, okay. So, so I used to love taking bubble baths with Mr. Bubbles bubble bath, and uh, now my kids love bubble baths, and, and I have learned the trick that my parents taught me, which is uh, how do you know how much bubble to put in the bubble bath? The cap, right? Right, like that's what my parents would use. So they would take the bubbles, they would pour it into the cap, and once the cap was filled, they would pour it into the running water, and that was the amount of bubbles you got until mom and dad turned their back. And then you would take the bubbles, and you would pour in as much as you thought you wanted so that it would look more like that. Right? Like, doesn't that look awesome? Imagine if you were a parent and you walked into that. Like, how did that happen? Oh, yeah, I know how that happened. Because parents operate by the rules because there's a certain amount of supply and we need to ration the supply because you will want to take another bubble bath tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But what do children care about? Do they care about tomorrow's bubble bath? No. They care about today's bubble bath. So, so when they realize that you pour and you get bubbles and you don't just get the amount of, so like when you pour in a little bit, you get a lot of bubbles. So if you pour in a little bit more, you get a whole lot more bubbles, right? Because what we supply, God multiplies. And he does more with less than we ever could. And our children don't worry about tomorrow's bubble bath. They care about today's bubble bath, trusting that tomorrow will take care of itself. Oh, to have the faith of a child. Because that's what God reminds us of. Or, or they believe, you know what, if we run out of bubble bath, well, mom and dad will just buy more, right? Because they don't live under the idea of scarcity, but abundance. Like mom and dad have abundant resources. We'll always say, look kids, money doesn't grow on trees, but for children, they don't worry about that. They believe mom and dad are gonna take care of them. Just like we should believe our Heavenly Father will always take care of us. And the amount of suds you get is so much more than the amount of bubble bath that you pour into it. And children know that. And when we give generously, God does more with what we have. More than we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that is within us. His power. The Holy Spirit. God calls us in this text to give abundantly and then trust. Test him and see if he won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out upon you a blessing. And God doesn't say, I'm gonna do that first because he understands this, that if, if God just continues blessing us, we'll find ways to continue consuming what he blesses us with. He says, be generous so that you are emptying yourself so I can fill you back up again. Like, we want to do this the opposite way. We want God to fill us, and then we'll empty it. But God says, no, start emptying yourself so that you have room so I can fill you back up again, because otherwise you're just going to keep consuming, because that's what God's people are really good at. He says, no, give. Trust me. 
And see if I will not pour out of you so much blessing. Now understand this. Sometimes we'll read this and go, okay, well that means that God is going to fill my bank account. If I am generous, God's going to fill my bank account. He doesn't say that. He does say, I will make sure that the devourer doesn't eat your crops and that your vines are always fruitful and I will pour out upon you a blessing. But it doesn't always mean a financial blessing. Sometimes that just means contentment. Contentment can be its own blessing in life. Sometimes it means better relationships. Sometimes it means a greater trust. Sometimes it means greater health and, and having resources to provide for health or having a great season of health so that you're not spending resources on having to go and take care of health. But there are different ways in which God abundantly blesses us as he gives to us to give through us for the sake of the kingdom of God. But in order to do that, one of the mindsets we need is the mindset of abundance over scarcity. That we have a God who has all of the resources of the kingdom at his disposal and gives them to us so that we can be generous for the sake of ministry. In fact, that's what it's all about. It's about ministry. This is why the ministry of, of our Ignite, who is doing 144 envelopes, is so significant. Because there are so many youth who are walking away from the church and we have the opportunity to speak into their lives. It's why Jam and Thrive are so important on Sunday mornings. It's why our, our school ministry is so important because if you haven't noticed, there are a lot of children in our world today who are walking away from the church. And you and I have the opportunity to build into that ministry so that we can reach more and more children for the sake of the gospel. Now, can that, those ministries happen without resources? Absolutely. Absolutely. God can provide whatever he needs to get that ministry done. And yet, we, what we understand is resources are a means to accelerate ministry towards the end of changing lives. The lives of our children, the lives of our grandchildren, the lives of the children of our congregation, the lives of children in our community, so that they can hear about the, the gospel and they can have changed lives and changed hearts. God tells you, test me and see. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and my abundance will not be poured out upon you. Test and see God's abundance through your generosity as you give faithfully, consistently, intentionally, abundantly, not so that we can meet a budget or build a building, but so that we can continue to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we can do more ministry so we can see more and more people saved and come to know Jesus. This we pray in his name. Let's pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here this morning and to uh, spend time in your word and to be reminded that we are called to live abundantly out of the abundance you give to us for the sake of the building of the kingdom of God. So often, Lord, we live with a scarcity mindset and, and we need that faith of a child who believes that there will be, always be more and doesn't worry about tomorrow but just lives in today. So, Lord, uh, help us to celebrate your generosity, your goodness, your grace, and then respond so that uh, as we are generous, we might see your kingdom advance and your work be done so that your kingdom might be built among us, so that lives might be changed, 
and that more and more people may come to know of the love that you have for us in Jesus Christ. Help us to be a people of generosity, and not just in our tithes and contributions, but with our very life, our time, our energy, with who we are, so that we might serve faithfully, so that others might see you through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.